Oh, it's emergency pod time. This time in studio, though. Emergency. Sound the alarms. Get it all going because another potential 76ers target is off the board. Welcome to the PHLY Sixers podcast alongside Derek Bodner. Kyle Newbeck, I'm Devon Givens with you. Bree producing as always, and we have you, and we have a lot to talk about following a big win over the Denver Nuggets. And as we were getting prepared to walk in here and have a great conversation with you, we think things got even more interesting now that a trade has gone down. Pascal Siakam off the table, now an Indiana Pacer, and so many things can go in a variety of different ways in terms of the Sixers and many others. Does that mean they have to jump on it really quickly now and get some things going? Start off first, Kyle, what's going on, man? Good to see you in the studio after two days in the arena. Um, didn't see this one happening right away. I was going to say, can we still consider it an emergency <laughs> when an we emergency. were all supposed to show up for work today? Like I, I was under the impression that we were going to do a show, but hey, it is an emergency. Just I had to raise of, my voice for the open, so that's hey, an emergency. Hey, listen. There so, you go. Sound the alarms. Big trade uh, for anybody who is catching up in real time, because not all of you are sickos like me and Derek and Devon who might have text and tweet notifications on for Woj and Shams. The Toronto Raptors have sent Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers in exchange for Bruce Brown, Jordan Awara, and three first-round picks. Another component that I'm still trying to figure out why they did this, I think it might be luxury tax reasons. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans are also sending Kyra Lewis to the Raptors hmm. as part of the deal. Derek, do you have any details on the picks that indiana is sending to toronto yeah so to your point the pelicans are three million dollars over the luxury tax right now uh lewis is making 5.7 so that was probably to duck the tax the um <clears throat> raptors are getting three first round picks like kyle mentioned two of them coming in 2024 one of them uh would be the pacers own the other one is the least valuable of oklahoma city houston the clippers and utah so given that two of those teams are very, very good in OKC and the Clippers, that's going to be a very late first round pick. The other one is a 2026 first round pick, and that is, again, the Pacers' own pick. So probably three relatively bad draft picks. Yeah, and I think part of the, that speaks to, you know, I, I think there's been some early reporting from Woj, et cetera, that there's been at least an indication Siakam could sign long-term in Indiana, but it... To get three firsts and you're still looking at it like, and eh, I don't know, those are kind of iffy value-wise. That shows you that there's a little uncertainty in the marketplace about what Siakam is going to do next. I would still say, though, to start this, now that we've laid out the terms, I don't know that this puts the Pacers in that upper echelon of Eastern Conference teams or in the top three with you know Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. But I certainly think that this is a major upgrade, major acquisition for them. I think he, unlike in Philly, where we had a lot of conversations about him next to Joel Embiid, there's some offensive concerns there. I think he fits great next to Halliburton yep. and Miles Turner in the front court, especially. Miles Turner as a stretch big opens up the floor for both Siakam and Halliburton isn't a guy who needs touches in the same areas that Siakam does. Halberton's going to get Siakam a lot of easy looks as an off-ball cutter, stuff like that. Siakam's going to have plenty of room to handle the ball, to ISO, to do his thing from the mid-post. 
I think this is like a hand in glove fit for them. And I think this very clearly solidifies them as probably the fourth best team in the East. And it's a team that, you know, if you're Boston, who looks like the runaway favorite to be the number one seed in the East right now, I don't want really, I'm not going to be thrilled about playing Indiana in a potential second round series. I think you were probably thinking before, whoever you might draw as the one seed in that second round, you'd probably feel okay about it. I, I would feel less okay now, just little more defensive solidity in the front court and you have some some extra offensive options certainly in Siakam. Yeah, I mean I think this is why, you know, we we've spoken a lot in the lead up to the trade deadline like which team does it make sense to offer the most in a trade? Uh Siakam I think is maybe the perfect example of this because I've always struggled with him in regards to Sixers because on the one hand I probably like him as a player better yeah. than any other uh, potential player that was on the market, better than OG in a vacuum, better than um you know, Levine better than DeJounte just as a pure player. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot that he does well. Two-way player, good size, good athleticism, can create off the bounce, uh, can cut, can play off ball, uh, versatile defender, can, you know, handle a little bit and create for others. But the shooting has been a big question mark with the Sixers. Best player out of the group, maybe the worst fit of the group. But for the Pacers, that fit, a lot of those concerns go out the window. I think he's going to have a two really good two-man game uh, out there in, with the Pacers. And I think it makes sense for them to give up what they gave up. On the one hand, what they gave up really isn't like if you were talking about the Sixers giving up three first round picks, the ones the Sixers had to offer are more valuable in trade yes. than the ones that the Pacers gave away. So Sixers would have had to give more to get him. It didn't really make sense because if it was questionable, I do like this a lot for the Pacers. You know, they had all, I don't think they had any, had traded any of their own first round picks in the future. So they had a lot of picks to work with in addition to that one extra 2024 first round pick to spend three of them. Uh, three pretty low-value picks and get a major, major upgrade that should be a good long-term fit with Halliburton. I think this makes sense. I think it made sense for them to be the most aggressive team uh, for Siakam services. Uh, and it does leave the Sixers in a bit of a bad spot, in part because the Eastern Conference just got a little bit tougher, pretty significantly tougher. Uh, that potential first-round matchup or second-round matchup is now tougher than it was 24 hours ago, uh, but also because there is another not only trade target, but a free agent target off the board. You had a multi a multi time All Star with that team that was already a, a fast paced, high paced team with the All Star right there and, and Tyrese Halliburton for what they like to do and Pascal Siakam being now a second ball handler. When you look at their lineup before, whether it was Buddy Heald or having someone else at that that guard or any of those wing positions, there was never really anybody that you looked at and said you're really concerned about them creating the offense. That was strictly for what Tyrese Halliburton has done and what he does. Now with Pascal Siakam at that size, at 6'7", at that wing position, to take some of that pressure off of Tyrese Halliburton, not that he was having a problem doing so, leading the league in assists, of course, uh, leading the vote-getting in, in terms of the guards, what he's doing in the Eastern Conference. He's been phenomenal. And yes, he is. Dan asked the question, is he still hurt? Yeah, he's supposed to be out reevaluated in about two weeks uh, with that injury. So now you give him, though, you give him another second ball handler who you can trust, who has played in big games in the playoffs and the NBA Finals. You have a great coach in Rick Carlisle. And it also does some things, some wonders, potentially for Miles Turner because of the outside shooting but also a pretty good pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop type of partner because it doesn't just have to be Tyrese Halliburton there carrying that responsibility anymore. You have a core piece there defensively, as Derek and Kyle have talked about. 
He, if he's engaged, he's a good defender. He's a really good defender, and it's something that you can do there. So Bruce Brown, as good as he is and has been in helping to win Denver their championship a season ago, this is an upgrade in a big way when you're talking about a two-time All-Star and a champion that can come in and now change the trajectory a little bit, a little bit sooner to what the Indiana Pacers were at the time to where they are right now yeah. and going forward. That being said, if I were a Pacers fan, what I would be concerned about isn't aren't the draft picks they gave up. It's a little bit Bruce Brown. I think that's a really helpful player sure. for them. It's really the contract, though. That next contract is going to be terrifying. I don't think he is. Like, I like Pascal a lot. I don't think he's going to be worth the contract he is going to command. You know, I do think, like, there's a lot of, like, oh, are they taking a huge gamble that he won't resign? No, I don't think that's the case. Like, I think a lot of the talk of, you know, he won't, he doesn't want to be traded anywhere right now. That comes down to that Supermax eligibility, which, as a reminder, you can only get the Supermax if you are on the team that drafted you, unless you're traded, I think, within, within the first four years. Pascal yeah. is not within the first four years of contract. He's on that second NBA contract. So if he is traded, he loses Supermax eligibility. I didn't think he was a strong candidate to get that eligibility because he would need to make an all-NBA team this year. I don't think he has a good chance of doing that, but a lot of times players uh, will hold on to that as long as they can. I think that's where a lot of this bluster of he doesn't want to be traded came from. Now that the reality is he is traded, I think he's going to look at it and say, I can make the most money with the Pacers. I can get the most years from the Pacers. This is a good opportunity for me to win with the Pacers. I don't think he's a huge flight risk, and that impacts the Sixers in a big way. So one of the unfortunate things here is that I feel like if we're looking at the Toronto side of it too, I feel like Bruce Brown's an interesting potential trade candidate for mm -hmm. another team. Yep. And the Sixers, I don't believe are going to be able to make a tr trade for him, like a separate transaction. Cause correct me if I'm wrong, Derek, you're more dialed in on the CBA stuff. The only way that they could trade for him between now and February, if this goes full, through fully through. is a one-for-one one swap well not necessarily one-for-one one. the the raptors can't aggregate or a non so they right. can't aggregate the sixers could aggregate uh, and the sixers probably oh, okay could come so up with yeah all right yeah. so that's a little so then i would say this i think that i would be if i were daryl Morey, i would be knocking on masai ujiri's door and saying what's your interest level in flipping bruce brown because while he does fit the profile of the type of players that I think the Raptors are going after over the last, let's say, month or so. I don't remember when that OG trade happened, but mm -hmm. last few weeks or so, last month. They're going after young-ish, productive players who could compete this year, but they hope will help them out over the next few years as they retool or rebuild. But he's kind of the perfect role player on a Sixers-esque team looking to compete for a title. Versatile defender, can create a little bit. The shot has been wonky, but was good when it mattered last year and has not stopped him from being a productive role player, can scale up in a lineup, can scale down in a lineup. I would be ringing the phone and trying to get Bruce Brown in here because I think that he fits that profile of player that we have talked about, right? Like the isn't a star, but he's not just like an ordinary role player, was a really important piece on Denver last season, got paid like it. This year, good for him getting that payday. And the value of having a Marcus Morris size contract, even though we've come to enjoy Marcus Morris on the show, is that you can flip him and something else very small and yeah. figure out a workable deal for a Bruce Brown type player. So I'd be very interested to see 
if the Sixers could potentially get their hands on him. That being said, I'm not sure what would really entice the Raptors. It's, it's also true. Like, are, are we talking including a first-round pick as well? Because I think the Raptors right now want a young player more than they want a first-round pick. And unless you're really high on Jaden Springer, the Sixers don't really have all that much that qualifies. Yeah. Bruce Brown averaging 33 games played, 12 points uh, off the bench for them, 4.7 boards, 3 assists. And some of his shooting, as you just talked about, his outside shooting in, in general, 32.7% from beyond the three-point line, 47 from the field. And I, I guess I agree with you that I, I would certainly look in, in, into Bruce Brown and what the availability might be. My question would be this, though, if I'm going the other way. We saw it with the Denver Nuggets, and we see that they are a different type of team where they connect in a certain way. Is it something that you believe that's real from Bruce Brown where that will connect also here? Again, averaging 12 points off the bench, understands his role, can do a variety of different things. And if I am going to kind of answer a little bit my own question, just to go back to the Brooklyn Nets when it was Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, he would start a lot of times and be that middleman in that middle pick and roll where Bruce Brown was the one catching the lobs from James Harden in the middle of the floor as he cut baseline off of some other stuff. Yeah from the corner. So, so answering that, yes, but also just saying, looking at it a little further that yes, he did it in Brooklyn. We certainly saw him do it in upscale way with the Denver Nuggets. Is, is that who he is? Can he still do that? And is it still going to be as impactful on a team here where we saw how much they share and run in Indiana here? They do get out in the open floor, but we also know the ball stops a little bit differently when it comes to Joel Embiid on this team. Yeah. And to your point, Devon, I would say that last season, if you would ask me, does Bruce Brown fit here? I'd say probably no, because the way Doc Rivers structured the offense, it was Joel in the middle of the floor with James Harden and everywhere else they wanted static targets. It was PJ in this corner, Tobias in this corner, Maxi on this spot on the wing. And something that was discussed after the Denver game that helped Joel get that double-digit assist game, that has helped him become a better playmaker, is that it's harder to send the hard, aggressive doubles when you have more frequent cutters, when guys are moving. Like, I know you guys brought it up on the show last night. There's a couple kickouts from Joel to the corners to Tobias Harris, one of those being, I want to say, Kelly Oubre was in the dunker spot, slid along the baseline, brought someone with him, it immediately, there was a miscommunication from Denver and Tobias slides into the corner. Joel hits him, catch and shoot three, bang. And so Bruce Brown, if you look at what Kelly Oubre has done this year, I think you could see a lot of the same things that he's done offensively. Bruce Brown's going to be able to do as well. He's not quite as big or as tall, I would say, as Oubre. I'd have to check the measurements on that. No, but he's, has, six, yeah, right he, now, he's yeah. typically played bigger than his listed size, like a they even had him masquerading as like a small ball center back in Brooklyn as they mm -hmm. were trying to figure things out mm -hmm. back then, which is wild to think about now and was wild to think about even then. I just think he's the type of guy that makes a difference in the playoffs one way or another. Someone who you can throw into all kinds of different lineups. Certainly the Embiidless lineups where you need to load up on athleticism and, and movement off of Tyrese Maxey as well. The, the contract is, you know, it's a little dicey, but I think he's proven that he can get it done in, in big spots in the past. And I'm more confident now in a Nick Nurse-centric world than 
Doc Rivers land last year. Charles Paul says Bruce Brown will be a reliable Kelly upgrade in playoff games for this for team. For a lot more money, mind you. It's a very, very, very important distinction. Man. And we saw it. We saw it a season ago where he helped them win that championship. He had the one big game, Derek, right against Miami where he went off about 20-plus in the game, and his outside shot was not a problem in that particular game as they they walked away with that title. No, the outside shot is a little concerning, though. It's been very up and down. Outside of that one year in Brooklyn, it's been down more often than not. Um, but he gives you so much more, like you mentioned, size, contribute on the glass a little bit, good defender. Uh, he would be a good fit. And that, that, you know, $23 million contract for next year is a team option. Um, so it's not that big of a concern and it still keeps the cap space plan in play. Although yeah, it might be getting a little dicey with the cap space plan. I'm sure we'll talk about that yeah. a little bit later. That being said, if you do want to buy tickets after the trade deadline, when the, uh, you know, when the, when the Sixers make their, uh, make their big splash, we'll see. You're going to want to make sure that you've saved a little bit of money to help offset the cost of those tickets. You can do that with Rocket Money. You want to make sure that you get the most out of your money and that you're not wasting money on unnecessary subscriptions. I personally much prefer going to a game and having experiences than subscriptions I completely forgot that I had. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place, and if you see something you don't want, you can cancel it with a tap, and you never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com phly. That's rocketmoney.com slash P-H-L-Y. Rocketmoney.com slash P-H-L-Y. And when you save that money and you want to go and purchase some tickets for the game, I have the place for you. We've been telling you about it for the entire time that we've been here. Me, maybe a little bit later. I was going to say, literally, game time has been with us longer than Devon has. Yes, they have. Yes, they have. (laughs) They're very, very reliable. And they're still here. And that's game time. Again, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful at all. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater, and much, much more. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun that you'll have. Flash deals, last-minute tickets. Again, some of the things that you will like about the GameTime app experience, images of seat views. You don't want to have your view restricted. You want to make sure you know exactly what you're getting when you're purchasing that seat views. The images are right there for you. Lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection as well. Easy way to find the tickets in your area. You get those images of the seats so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're all set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email and they make great gifts for we sell during the holiday, maybe birthdays now going forward. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off of your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Create an account, redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I want to say we, we did talk about it a little bit for a segment, but. I was thinking about it as you guys were doing the the ad reads. It's so crazy how far back and forth the pendulum swings on picks and trades in the NBA where four years ago, 
the Sixers for an expiring Jimmy Butler gave up Dario, Rob Cove, <laughs> and Jared Bayless. Now, there no were some extenuating assets. circumstances <laughs> on that one. Pascal Siakam's agent has been liking stuff, basically calling Masai Ujiri an asshole all over Twitter yeah, for the last Jimmy three was weeks. literally calling people with the Wolves an it's asshole. It's also a better player. Of course. So of course. Like, it's, it's just, you but, know, there's like, so much. You could go back to the Drew trade, and the Drew trade was a lot of draft picks. Like, I don't think that era was devaluing draft picks. I think Jimmy was a very, very special case. What I'm saying is less so about that, more so about the part with Jimmy where it was like, oh, yeah, they're coming here for basically nothing. And then it was a disaster when he left. They're giving up three first-round picks, and I know that they mitigated the risk. Like, I think is probably – there's not a whole lot of downside to it to trade this year's first and a 2026 first, essentially. The other the other first is – I'd say that's like a glorified second-round pick, yeah. honestly. But even still, to give up three and to think like – Guy could still bolt in the offseason. There's no set in stone. He's coming back. Is it's a little crazy. They so. must be. They must have. They, I mean, I'm sure they have they feel intel like on. They're gonna sign him long term, yeah. and he's gonna be fine uh, with it. And that, but that that is a lot. So, what does that do now? At, to kind of pivot, where does that leave the Sixers now? The Indiana Pacers 23-17, and 17, as the guys talked about, they're right there in the Eastern Conference. They're going to be a tough out in the postseason, but still a bit of a ways away, we think, for the Sixers. But for the Sixers to worry about what they've been worried about, which is the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics, where where do we go now? Because with two players off the board, both from Toronto, OG Ananobi to the Knicks, and now Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers, the usual suspects are still there. Zach Levine, DeJounte Murray. And other than that, it's more of those uh, extra role player pieces that we don't hear as much about as of late. But those two names in Levine and Murray are still out there big time. So right now with this move, is there is there a little more pressure now on Daryl Morey to get something done? Not to do it because of these teams, but more so because of the names that we've talked about, if he has had interest in them, are now two of them off the board. Well, it's kind of, it, it hits you in two different spots, right? Like there are just, there are fewer, at least in terms of what we know sure. the, of who's available. There are fewer quote unquote impact or close to impact guys available on the trade market right now. So, and we were originally going to do the show today about whether the Sixers should go all in, what that looks like, what you'd have to give up, et cetera, et cetera. But now you're base. I would say you're essentially down to, because Levine, we've thrown cold water on over and over again. By the way, the entire NBA has reportedly thrown cold water on Correct. Levine as well. Yeah. So you are essentially down to, is it worth pushing the chips in for DeJounte Murray? Because if not you're not making a trade of a major caliber, I would say. It's not to say you can't make impactful moves, not to say you can't get good players, but DeJounte Murray is the big piece left on the board. And he's got interest from, as far as we can tell, several different teams. I wonder if there are any of the teams that were in on Siakam might pivot to, uh, will we look at Murray? they I would say no, like Dallas was in on Siakam and he doesn't fit there. That's Luka and Kyrie. It would be funny though. Oh, I mean, (laughs) it'd be very funny to see what that would look like. 
So it becomes, I don't want to say Murray or bust, but it's Murray or uh, it's a definite slide down the name scale for the Sixers. The other part of it is how many free agents are left at this point that you even care about? (laughs) And Derek has made this point many, many times about, now there's been a lot of discussion about cap space from reporters, from fans, other people wouldn't put a ton of stock in that in terms of like, Oh, that's the big thing the Sixers are doing. And I would even double down on that now, like, other than making trades at the draft, which could be a big thing depending on how the season shakes out, there is not an obvious like they are going after this guy or they should go after this guy in free agency this summer. Unless you believe that they're going to go after like LeBron, which just seems completely unrealistic. So I I think this move, I don't want to say it boxes them in, but it definitely shrinks their options. And folks, remember too that Kawhi Leonard signed his extension, who was who had a player option for the offseason, part of that free agent list that Kyle talks about. Paul George is another name that could opt out, but it seems after the Kawhi Leonard deal that they are also already in discussion. I've been treating them like a package to, deal. Almost. Exactly, to extend there. So to Kyle's point, Derek, DeJounte Murray is probably it in terms of the, if we're going to frame them, all-star names. Yeah, see, I, I, so, uh, it is fascinating because on one hand, I always said, like you mentioned, Free agency to me was a third option. It was a, a last resort. It was a little bit of a threat, especially on someone like Siakam. Like, hey, you don't like we don't have to go all in now. We can, you know, be patient, go in free agency, keep our assets. I don't think that was actually ever their priority, but it was a threat that you could make. But I always thought the top two priorities were getting someone in February, and if not, getting someone in a trade in June and July. Well, that trade is still there. Like having that cap space, not having those you know, bad negative value contracts to weigh you down. You are more flexible in the trade market in June and July. Even if the players that you're targeting aren't necessarily free agents, you're waiting for that next player to become available. The problem with that theory, like you said, with free agency, you have a list of people who theoretically could be available. And once you get past deadline, you know they will become available. Trades, you don't know. You're waiting for something to shake up the status quo. And that's a very risky gamble to make. So it does, like with fewer free agency options, it does make you a little more, um, you know, motivated to be aggressive at the deadline. But if your best option is someone like Murray, who I've questioned the fit of, it's going to be a real tough decision for, for Daryl to make. You kind of hope that there's somebody else who shakes through. I think right now, still, if I feel compelled that I have to make a move, that I'm not willing to wait for somebody to come available uh, at the, as a trade candidate in, in the draft or free, or free agency, um, if I'm not comfortable with that that uncertainty, I would still rather sort of like pursue like an Atlanta Bogdanovich and maybe one other piece than go all in on somebody who I don't believe in the fit of long term. But it is getting more and more difficult to hold your ground. It is. Yeah. And we were discussing Murray some before the show, Murray's contract. The more that I have looked at him and the deal he's on, I'm not super concerned. His contract about- is pretty low on my concern list is fit the fit the fit is real like do you buy the shot is he going to buy into the role they need him to play but the way i framed it prior to the show is like if you send marcus morris and melton and you get back to jante murray i think that gives you a pretty significant upgrade in terms of your on ball juice and i think even if you were to say 
the catch and shoot stuff is a potential problem. Buy into role, potential problem. Obviously, we've talked some too about thinking his defense is overrated and, you know, what do you get out of him there? I still think in a playoff series where self-creation becomes so much more valuable than it even it is during a, a regular season stretch against good teams, I think DeJounte's value would eventually shine through there. And I think even if you can't recoup whatever value you give up for him in a trade prior to the deadline, I think you could at least get some value back. Like that contract is, he's making essentially, the cap hit next year I believe is 25 and a half. It goes from 25 and a half, 27 and a half, 29 and a half, and then I'll have a player option for 31 and a half in that's, 2026, 7. Kyle Mathing on the spot. I'm just trying to remember. But at that point, that's less than 17% of the cap four years from now. That's nothing for a guy who I think is a pretty talented and ultimately pretty productive player in Murray. So if you could incentivize Atlanta to trade you him without giving up much in terms of the, the current players, and you say, we'll give you, I don't know what, two picks? Two picks for that. I don't know what the price is going to end up being for him. I don't know where Atlanta sets that bar. I think that that's probably worth it. Now, whether they will do that is up for debate. I know Shams reported today they're not really interested in him. I I don't ag- agree with that, I would say. I'd say at the current price, they're not in on trading for Murray. But I don't think it's like Levine where – they don't want to touch that contract. That's been made clear for months and months. I think, Murray, it's more of a, we're going to see how these next few weeks and the market shakes out, and if anyone else becomes available, and that might be a, right before the deadline. Let's have a, a serious discussion about how close we are to winning a title. No, but like my concern, like you said, isn't the contract. And in a couple of years, yeah, it's going to be a fine contract with the way the salary cap is escalating. My concern is if you trade for him now, let's say you give him two years it doesn't work out. Well, now all of a sudden you don't have the assets to make another big trade because yeah. quite frankly, they've just passed. Like they're in the rearview mirror. You don't have the two years left of Joel Embiid's prime. I really need to be comfortable with a player and a fit to make a commitment like that because that is like, they're not going to trade for him now if it doesn't work in the next two months, go, oh, we should change directions in the summer. They're going to give it at least a year and a half or two years to see if it'll fit. That is time that is very, very valuable and time that you will never get back. And I just don't buy the shot enough. I don't really even buy the defensive versatility enough to really be comfortable giving up two first round picks for that guy. I have, I'll go back. I'll, I will watch every three pointer he's taken this year before we get to the <laughs> deadline. I will try to talk myself into it because it is the biggest name currently available. I'm very, very skeptical. So what's the other, what's you mentioned Bogdanovich and we've all agreed that Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich would be a good addition, but what if that's the only thing? You like we bring up Bogdanovich and something else. What if there is no like something else? Like a Bogdanovich else? and like a Royce O'Neal or a Dorian Finney. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like but what if you don't because someone out outbids? Because there have been other contenders that have been linked to both Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney Smith. And if you can't get that other, does is that enough where the Bogdanovich is the only piece? Well, assuming that you, you retain like two of your draft picks, yeah, and some flexibility. Because I think if if Bogdanovich is a type or let's say you do need to go all in on a star in the summer. He will still have positive trade value. You haven't spent so many of your assets that you're inflexible. 
if you're getting me like one small, not even small, one decent reinforcement for the stretch run and still having the flexibility in terms of salary and draft capital to be aggressive in June or July, then yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay kind of like splitting the middle on that. I just, so my concern would be if you split the middle, if you make some of these trades, and I've been a big advocate for Atlanta Bogdanovich. If you end up bleeding some of these out, like let's say you move one first for Bogdanovich and, you know, a role player contract, whoever the contract is to, to make that deal work. Now, if you actually do want to try to get into the conversation for a real guy later, you don't have a whole lot of ammo. Like the ammo they have right now is basically what they have. They don't have a ton of trades to make where they're going to recoup value on. They have a ton of expiring guys. They're not trading Maxi. Certainly not trading Joel. Springer's value is, I would say, very, very low for where he's at in his career cycle. Like he's more valuable as a potential rotation guy to the Sixers by a lot than he is on the market. And so you just go down the list of names. De'Anthony Melton, who I think has at least some value to a team potentially this season, is also going to be a free agent. And so if you hold on to him and don't trade him, you're either committing to him and a future contract with him or you're letting him walk in free agency, and, and that's a risk you take. So there's just there's a bit more urgency here than maybe we've discussed or that people are thinking about right now. It's not that I love DeJounte Murray. It's not that I think that's definitely the guy. They go and get him, and they're a guaranteed title team. I just think that there's a shorter window to make an impact trade than maybe people are thinking about right now. Oh, no, I 100%, and I've been saying this the entire time, once you get past July, like, you're pretty much set. Like, that window of making a major acquisition is going to become much, much more difficult. 100% on board with you there. I just don't I don't push into making a move I don't believe in I, and you don't want to make like a panic that. move yeah. because of the other stuff around you it's, it feels a little calangelo to me which is completely fair there's fair also enough. a comment I loved from Mike a little while back in the chat where he said I was out on DeJounte but the fact that Pop was interested in bringing him back to San Antonio makes me think he'd be a team player it just sucks playing with Trey something, something to chew on a little bit you know what else said, you could chew Trey, on? Trey does get him some pretty good catch-and-shoot spot-up opportunities. And that's part of the reason here. why the shot, I'm not 100%. Get some good looks here. I was going to say. I, I think Joel Embiid <laughs> and Tyrese Maxey. Also, Tyrese of Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and Trey Young, Trey's the best passer and shot creator. Well, yes, we would agree with that. But I just think the way the defenses bend. Yes. It'll be a different type of catch-and-shoot three, but it'll still be catch and shoot luck. So I'm I, hungry, I, man. It's lunchtime. Well, I was going to say, I said something to chew on. You know, I would love for you guys to go and chew on. That's right. A bagel from our friends at Bagels & Co. who offer huge Brooklyn-style bagels made right here in Philadelphia. I eat bagels several days a week. And Bagels & Co. offers an average of around 15 to 20 types of bagels that rotate seasonally. They had a Christmas-themed bagel right around when we did our show at the Reading Terminal Market. So you got to keep your eyes peeled for some future-themed bagels that are coming up. And if you're a cream cheese guy, I know I am. I've been eating some jalapeno honey cream cheese recently that I've really loved. Bagels & Co. has 30 different flavors of cream cheese that rotate throughout the year. Bagels & Co. also do themed cream cheeses as well for all the local sports teams, including the Sixers. 
We will not speak of the football team from Philadelphia. They are basically the Voldemort of Philadelphia sports right now. Oh. But I can imagine oh, oh, oh. you could get a themed cream cheese based around them. And guys, just as important as that variety is the affordability because Bagels & Co. has kept their prices down to match or to stay away from inflation that's crushing us everywhere else because they want you to be an everyday customer, not just someone who comes in for a weekend splurge. And the best part is they even offer to go with those bagels premium coffee at a superior price to most national brands and chains. So for the best Brooklyn-style bagels made right here in Philly, head to www.thebagelsandco.com slash store dash locator to find the closest bagels and co near you we need the bagels right now buddy you you go <laughs> ahead and preach i would love one right yeah now. that would be perfect right now yeah that would be i perfect. wonder what dejounte murray thinks of uh well, if he's a cream cheese or a butter guy well, rc says murray bagels in manhattan but more philadelphia but i got you rc yeah murray bagels here in philadelphia uh, uh where where else c- could they go now as we all right bogdanovich murray that's pretty much it right now. Well, so. there's still the there's the Caruso's, right? Like sure. I, that talk died down, and I would imagine closer to the deadline, which is when any potential Sixers move is getting made. If you're asking me, I think eventually Chicago, if they're actually open to trading Caruso, will bring the price down. But again, I, it, it gets into that: is it worth giving up a first or like a first for a Caruso? And hurting your ability to make a bigger impact trade potentially at, at the draft before a tr- free agency. I will say, you, you you brought that up, the Sixers waiting till deadline. And I agree. I think there's very little chance anything will happen before February. Are you surprised Masai acted so quickly on both these trades? Because pretty famously, I'm going to keep my guy and not make a decision. Both of these came pretty quickly. Do you think he's been listening to the show? And having, <laughs> every time I've made fun of him, he's like, man, that... That Kyle Newbeck, no. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing your influence might not be quite that strong. No, but I would say he probably, look, like I've made fun of Masai a lot on this show for good, uh, what I thought was good reason. But I think he's a very smart guy. Like he certainly, he's able to build a title team. He's definitely no, (laughs) definitely no Troy Weaver. He's a smart guy who's made a lot of good moves over the years and he just got tunnel vision for a while or it was you're just running down these contracts instead of look i get you want to win every trade in a slam dunk and this one i'm sure he's gonna build i got three first round picks for siakam all that but this is the type of stuff that he should have been doing years ago right like not necessarily trading siakam and og specifically but if you trade lowry and fred van vliet and Maybe Which don't they got trade nothing for Fred Van Vliet this offseason. And maybe nothing. trade, not trade for Jakob Pertl, and you have other stuff to move to surround the Siakams and the OGs. You don't end up with a team that has had no guards up until trading for Emmanuel quickly, that hasn't had a real big up until getting Pertl. Like they just, they haven't been a real basketball team for like three years. And so. A lot of that is due to the previous decisions. I think he's doing the right thing now with where they're at, but I don't think it needed to get here. Like Siakam's a very good player that they, I don't think he's that hard to build a good team around if he's one of your three best players. So yeah, I think he's correcting some mistakes and and learning from some, some errors that he's made and, you know, credit to him for that. We'll see where they go from here. I just don't know. Is this it for them or are they going to look hard at, 
can we flip Bruce or can we flip some other stuff between now and, and February? Because yeah. Gary, Gary Trent was also unhappy. There was a talk in the offseason that he wasn't even going to come back. And uh, he eventually came back. Dennis Schroeder is now upset. Who cares? Because Emmanuel quickly is now taking his guard spot in the starting lineup. So they may look to, to add some more things. And as far as that Masai Ujiri piece, it was very clear after a while, especially when they won the championship, that he just had a very, very high opinion of himself, uh, of the job that he does. <laughs> I'll say it. He, he, he loves himself and the job that he does, and he doesn't think that he does anything wrong. And he felt like he can handle things the way that he handled it outside of what was probably the right thing to do, which was go acquire some of those draft picks to rebuild. Because once, once Kawhi Leonard left and while you were still in there, yes, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, you weren't winning a championship, though. Well, that next season, they had a honestly, they had a good. I would, yes, they, they had that. Would they might have been better that year as a group? They didn't have Kawhi, who was like the human equalizer, and Kyle was still there, right at that time. Lowry? Yes, yeah. That that, that next year team, that's the bubble year. I think if they were able to beat who was it, Boston in the second round in the bubble, I think there's a decent chance that team. But goes I never back thought they back. were going to win. I, I didn't. That personally. was a weird. Re- I did. Uh, it's like obvious. Like yes, they didn't have the like certified A plus lead guy. Yeah. And so you always doubt those teams going into the playoffs. But once you get into the bubble and shit was so weird, like everyone thought the Clippers were as the team to beat in the West at that point, and they were rolling over the Nuggets, and then they, you know, another Doc Rivers special. Then they collapsed in that series, and it ends up being the Heat out of the East. Like I. I think there was at least a decent chance they beat Miami and go to the finals. And then you go to the finals, like they matched up pretty well with that Lakers team that ended up winning. So nobody would have cared because everyone would have called it the the Disney World bubble chip or whatever. But you know, I I that team was worth, you know, we're going we're going through it again with them. It was after that is when he started making some reckless decisions, not thinking about the future. Yeah. I mean, look, going back to my point, though, I'm not surprised that he traded Siakam. I think the writing was very clearly on the wall when they made the OG trade. My surprise is just that it came three weeks before deadline. Like, you usually don't see players of the caliber of OG and of Siakam traded in late December and early January. Uh, So I'm I'm still a little bit surprised. Still a little bit surprised. All right, we got a super chat here jumping in. Corey Fader asks, does Maxi have a chance at making the Olympic team the uh, 30 player selection pool will be announced in the coming days. I did see that. That was uh, from ESPN. It was one of the guys. I can't remember who it was, but I, I saw that. Does he have a chance to make the? Uh, he wasn't in the um, in the pool, the pipeline. Uh, I don't remember him being in anything, not even the select team. So I'm not quite sure uh, if he has a chance. To be perfectly honest with you, because when we're talking 30 players and you had so many stars already commit to it their names are now just going to be thrown in and then you have the people who were as part of the pool a year ago or not even a year ago this past summer for that select team and the players that were part of the the uh, world championship team here i i don't know i mean yes the this season helps grand hill being at that atlanta game last week you know i i, I don't know i i don't know does he have a chance I don't know if he's the type of guard that they want right now when you look at what Curry, Anthony Edwards potentially, and Jalen Brunson already being in the pool. 
uh, of players, Tyrese Halliburton as well, I don't know that he'll make that cut. I don't know. That's just me personally. I think it's to your point. When guys like Steph are are going to play, it's going to be very tough for because then when the very top tier of guys is going, and that tends to be the Olympic teams, right? Especially when they're coming off a a disappointing performance in the World Cup. I I think you're going to get the the A-plus guys. And when the A-listers go, that means even the bench guys are – they're the tier right below that. And like as good as Tyrese has been this year, he's not quite at that level. So, well, and they always want to have one or two guys who are like role player types, yes. super role players that fit well with your stars. To the uh, guard so point, will, Drew Holiday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Kay Cunningham. They, he impressed last year with that select team. So yeah, I think it, I think it would be tough for him to crack that and, and get there this season. You know, maybe in a couple of years, he'll be a part of, He's young. Yeah. He's got a chance. Yeah, he yeah. has a chance. Absolutely. And historically, to your point about the select team, Devon, it's hard to go from you're not even in the like the mix to you're on the Olympic team in an yeah. Olympic year. Like it's it'll take him some time, but he certainly is has been good enough and talented enough. Like I I don't know how much you guys ended up talking about Tyrese last night during the show, but great another great game from him mm-hmm. against high-level opponent, and as we've talked about it quite a bit, doing so in a way where he's helping Joel, playing off of Joel, that cohesive partnership where Denver's making the choice to double Joel. It's like, you can double him, but Tyrese is getting a wide-open three. Some of that was poor defensive structure and decision-making from the Nuggets, but listen, man, you cannot leave this guy open. And when they're running that empty side pick-and-roll with Tyrese as well, putting Jokic in a bind like you want to you want to drop gonna hit a three or gonna give Joel some space and be able to step into a mid-range so I think you saw last night the the progress he's made as a a lead guard and he's definitely gonna be on the team USA radar for a while I would expect and certainly the all-star team next month should be should be but you talked about it last night Derek where they made some choices of going under screens instead of going over screens, and he was wide open. They went for under multiple about screens. Started off, they went under almost everything, and then in the third quarter, they were just like, hey, we're going to double onto Joel one pass away and leave Tyrese Maxey open. Like, dude's like a 55% catch-and-shoot shooter. What do you do? He hasn't gotten that many open looks in quite a while. It was a great game from him, uh, that two-man game, especially early on, was very strong. Uh, that was our biggest takeaway is that when those two were operating at that level – they can hang with anyone. Uh, I was very surprised, especially on a rewatch this morning of Denver's defensive philosophy. Like a lot of times teams come out and they play vanilla in the regular season. Like there aren't as many adjustments over the course of regular season as I think maybe fans would expect. A lot of times it is running your base scheme out there. Uh, they, the Nuggets, to their credit, did adjust and play something different. To their discredit, it was, I think, borderline batshit crazy. And I was really surprised at it. Kyle, we talked about uh, doing the show a couple of weeks ago about Maxi's struggles. And part of that being Embiid off the floor, everything kind of relying mm-hmm. on him. But since Embiid has come back, and yes, he has missed a few games here and there, but for the most part, that shooting slump, as we said at that time, we weren't really worried. It was just more it needed to be addressed. It needed to be discussed. And he has since snapped out of that one again. Nine three-point attempts last night, making four. He had a good game on Monday afternoon against the Houston Rockets where he knocked down some more shots. And that one, he seems like he's back. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and to tie it into this discussion about Siakam and potential trades and all that, I think the the best part of where the Sixers are at is I think we all feel confident to have the second guy, right? Like it's a much tougher spot to be in where they were at when Ben held out and Tyrese is still developing. It's like they need a legit guy. Like if they don't get a guy, they have no prayer. And like that's that's the basis for trading for James Harden. The position that Maxi has them in is so much better than where they were a couple of years ago, where we can sit here and we can argue about, hey, is trading the picks you have left for DeJounte Murray, is that truly worth it? Is that the best use of your resources for the next three, four years, potentially you're going to be locked into this team. You're going to be locked into this roster, but they don't have to make that trade because Tyrese has been so good and is such a good compliment to Joel that as he becomes, we presume uh, a max level player in the off season when he signs an extension, eventually it's all about what fits around the two of them and not just Joel because the synergy there is so good and has led to so much success already that now it's about iterating around that partnership and how do you help Tyrese as well as helping Joel. So the the big the biggest gift that they've gotten from Harden leaving, the Harden trade and this first roughly like half of the season that they've played so far is that Tyrese has locked down that number 2 spot hard enough that we can sit here and say yeah, maybe they just do get a role player or two. Maybe they're just making smaller trades now and you save the picks and you hold on for a while and say, what becomes available in the marketplace between now and July? That's a really powerful thing that we might have been able to guess or predict and be optimists. Like I was, we all were optimists about Tyrese coming into the year, but because he has exceeded all those expectations, as all this other pressure from a Siakam trade, an OG trade, shrinks their options Tyrese being this good has at least made you feel like they're still going to be okay they still have those two guys and that gives them a puncher's chance against basically any team in the NBA we spent all preseason well we spent talking about two things first of all James Harden's annoying (laughs) second of all Tyrese Maxey if he's able to show that he's a true number two and capable of being a lead ball handler all of a sudden they have a lot more avenues to reaching title contention He's played so well that that is true and that's great. And they're in a much better position now than they were four months ago. But in a weird way, it's almost put more pressure on them now to seize this moment and seize this opportunity. And I think it's made fans almost a little more nervous because they know what opportunity they have in front of them. So it is on the one hand, great that he has progressed and it's huge. It's absolutely huge. You know, their ability to contend over the next, you know, two to four years, let's say, but it is like, they have more avenues, they have more opportunities, they have a higher ceiling, more upside, and yet the nerves haven't completely gone away. And I get that because this team has been in a spot where you've been like, man, they're just one good trade away 
from really bringing this thing home and they've screwed that trade up every freaking time. But you would rather be in this position and have this hope and have this opportunity than not. I think it's 10 consecutive game with 20 plus points with uh, Tyrese mm-hmm. Maxey. So as much as not we... Not quite the 30 and 10 streak, not which is at still all. alive because now it's a 30-point double-double that no, everyone's keeping. No, it's not alive. <laughs> it's no, dead. ESPN tweeted that out last the, night. The king is dead. <laughs> and he's not. he wasn't hunting those points to keep that streak alive either. Well, that's because he had it in pretty much the third quarter. So yeah, yeah, pretty much. So he just, you know, it's all good. But uh, any thoughts on the Tobias Harris piece and how where he fits into all of this because of how well he's played, like we would... To always talk about, he'll struggle here. Then he'll have two and a half really good weeks, and then he might fall off a bit at this particular point of the season. But with all these things happening, maybe he's involved in something, maybe he's not. Maybe again, you can get a player like Bogdanovich or someone else where you don't have to move to get DeJounte Murray, but he stays and he's not a part of anything. I said this on the post game show. At least I think I did. I'm tired today, so I don't know if I said things to you guys or people in passing. Or the voices the- in your head. I get it. <laughs> But I, I would say this. I, I still think moving Tobias in the right move is fine. I do think when you see him moved around and defending bigs and going through these stretches where he's able to essentially keep them in a game with the shot making, and you combine that with you can use Joel as a roamer. Now, they didn't you play well defensively with Joel in the Romer spot last night, but historically they've been able to. You lose something like that when you move Tobias if you get like a guard back, right? Like some of your defensive versatility yep. goes away. And so that's something that not a lot of people will think about if they trade Tobias for, if they did a straight up Zach Levine for Tobias trade, most people will be thrilled. It's like he's a great offensive fit. They can see the upside with Zach, blah, 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 blah. But you're not thinking about in a seven-game series where maybe the Sixers go up two to one, and then Boston or Milwaukee makes a strategic ad- adjustment, plays some bigger lineups, and does some different things, and you don't have a counter to that because you don't have someone like Tobias, who, when he's locked in defensively, can be a very helpful defensive guy. And you're not going to not make a trade based on Tobias's defense. But I do think that like over the course of a playoff series, his versatility will help you and, and will be important. And he can do some things like he is stronger than a Nick Batum, for example, right? Like he can stand some centers up and he can defend guys in the post in ways that Batum will not. And it's better to have both of them than just one of them because I think they complement each other in some ways. So I'm still on the like big playoff skepticism bandwagon for Tobias. But I, I do think, as we've seen over this last week, week and a half, and we've seen in the past, that defensive component should not be sneezed at. And it's something that whoever is being brought in, whether it's for Tobias or for any number of players who might go out, you have to think about it's not just this starting lineup looks good or this guy does this offensive thing well. It's when you get into the nitty-gritty, the game six, the game seven, and you need to be able to shift and play zone and play box and one and press and do all kinds of different things, how do all these guys fit and are they matchup proof? Being matchup proof is like the number one most important thing for guys in the playoffs in the modern NBA. And while Tobias is, <laughs> wouldn't say he's matchup proof, he's closer than some of these guys that they might potentially trade him for. Yeah. 
And look, the nice thing about the Harden trade, outside of the fact that we don't have to talk about Harden, is that you got so many matching salaries back, you only trade Tobias now if it actually makes sense to trade Tobias. Like in the past, you might have had to trade Tobias to match salary. Now you can match salary without including him if you, the other team isn't necessarily prioritizing Tobias as a return or if you know this isn't a thing where the player you're acquiring would overstep or step on top of Tobias, you can keep him. And there's a lot of trade permutations that we can talk about where you have enough outgoing salary where you can keep Tobias, keep that versatility defensively, keep a guy who at least has the capability to step into a big role like he did last night. Um, they're, they're flexible in that regard. You just need players to actually be available via trade, which seems like it's getting a little dicey. We're going to see. I thought he was, um, I think it was the uh, Toronto-Miami playoff um, run there when they were knocked out in the second round. And, of course, Embiid you know, got hurt in that series where his face was broken by Pascal Siakam. I thought Tobias was the most consistent player because he was available, number one, and he was the most consistent both offensively and defensively in both of those two series. Last season, there wasn't as much in the playoffs against, yeah. you know, once they got to Boston. But for that year, consistently, it, it, again, it didn't need to be averaging 25 or anything, but he was very consistent with positive things that he was doing in that particular run. Look, and for as much as we will give Tobias grief for not stepping up the moment offensively in the playoffs, and in the second round, I think that's largely been true. He's had his moments defensively, whether it's on Marcus All a couple years back, Pascal Siakam, he's defended well. He still struggles as a team and off-ball defender in the playoffs, sure, but he is in terms of one-on-one -on -one individual matchups. He has had his moments where he can be useful defensively and be a, a positive value on that side of the court. So certainly like his loss in terms of defensive versatility would be there. Is that worth 40 plus million dollars? No, of course not. But that money is what it is at this point. It's not hindering you in terms of flexibility. It's on the final year of the contract. Uh, trading Tobias has to actually make sense um, because you do have enough matching salary that you can avoid it if you want to. I just want to point out, we have a Knicks fan trying to trade Julius Randle for Maxi in the comments. And that might be... If that trade would never be made, but that would immediately be the least popular trade in the history of the Philadelphia 76ers. He says, can you take him? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no. you're trying to get rid of this guy. <laughs> but sure, the Sixers will trade one of the most beloved athletes in the city of Philadelphia for him. And their rising star who might make an all-star I team mean, at this year. point, why don't we just trade Tobias Harris for Evan Mobley? It's like... Fair point. On, on that note. Fair point. We got we do have to tell people about our new merchandise that we have. Oh. PHLYlocker.com. As we all support our old merchandise. Yeah. But there's well, no one. But you're sporting By the way, them. these are still great. They're not outdated. They work. No. No, but look at the new hoodies. All right, look. Football season is over. You're disappointed. But they're still cool hoodies. Go in there. Grab your PHLY football hoodie. The hockey season is still underway. Meechkoff is doing fantastic. And then you have us. Look at that. Look at that blue hoodie. With the logo on the left side of the chest there, on the back, with the PHLY Sixers I'd podcast I'd love to get logo. my own one of those. You, you would know? love that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like that? To wear that on your show? Wear be that on pretty, your show. Be pretty swell. That would pretty be pretty good. But if you want to dress need, like we us. We need like pictures of people on like conference calls at work wearing PHLY gear. <laughs> That's true. We need to send it our way if you do that, please. That's right. So again, PHLYlocker.com and the hats. Well, we're not sporting the hats today. We have worn them on the show many times. Nothing like a promo without the things you're promoting. There you go. The dad hat, the golf hat, the uh, flat brim hat, and the trucker hat. You can get those once again at phlylocker.com. Man, you have hit that URL like six times in a row. I'm very proud of you. See? I was just trying to... 
Good job, buddy. I'm trying to catch up. I'm trying to catch up with the. Is it time to do my final right. job? It's and time shout to do out. your job. There man. are a lot of people today, so if I don't get to you, I promise it's not personal. I'm going to say before I forget. My guys, Gavin and Will, I saw you earlier, so shout out to you. What's up, Gavin? Thank also, you. he's like the last, like the third comment from the top, yeah. so you should see him now, <laughs> yeah. too. Thank you, everybody, for being here today. We had a lot of, you know, mixed fan bases in here. If you're not a subscriber to the channel, I would recommend you hit that subscribe button and hit the bell icon to get notifications each and every time that we go live. There you go. I got to shout out Brian Knight, <laughs> Tafka, Prophet, Dan, Brian, Kev Lowe, who somehow, some way, thinks he's getting Tyrese Maxey on the Knicks. Come on, Julius Kev. Randall. Cut it Come out. on, Kev. We, we love that you're here, but no, absolutely not. Elliot, Matt, Tim, Sal, Mons, another Brian. We're getting into repeats. Matt, Bootzilla, our guy Al, the two-minute warning. What's up, Al? R.C. Burroughs. Who else is in here? Tim Williamson, Max Churchville, Money Mar, Furious. I saw, was it, Illicit was in here earlier. Chin, we have a name that I am not even going to attempt to pronounce. (laughs) J.S., B.K., Kane. Bootzilla, up, did Kane? I say Bootzilla? Dan Murphy, our guy is always in here. Everyone, whoever's here that I missed, there are like 8 billion. E- Dave P, didn't say you. Please, if you could, hit the thumbs up button on this video as well as that subscribe button. Tell the Because it makes me feel really warm and fuzzy inside, and it certainly helps all of us out here, including our wonderful production staff behind the scenes. And it's very cold, so we need to be warm. So do that for Kyle. <laughs> it's very cold outside. It's annoying. When I walk out of these studios, I don't know if that's actually going to help me, but if it works, but still, it, works. it goes with what Kyle said. I'm going to be miserable no matter what. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, we are off tomorrow on Thursday, but we are back for two post game shows Friday and Saturday night. We'll be all three Another. of us in there because it's road games. Yeah, baby, back to back. So I'll, I'll see you, gentlemen, in a couple of days. There you go. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Stay warm. Silly like the mayor.